This morning we have a special guest speaker, and as Pastor mentioned, I talk a little bit about our agenda this week. There are two teams that are going to be in the area. Oh, I'm supposed to... Kids Church, blast off. While they're blasting off, I'll continue. So starting tomorrow morning, weather pending... We'll, be, we'll begin in uh, Manson Northwest Webster in the morning. And the first team is uh, Joel Penton, who you'll hear from in a moment. And there's a band that's with them. They're at another church this morning ministering as well. They'll be at Manson on Monday. And then Tuesday, they'll be in South Central Calhoun. And Wednesday, then they'll be at Pocahontas area. So they'll do the day assembly. And then in the evening, they'll uh, do a concert. And then Joel will uh, and the band will share the gospel, talk about putting their faith in Jesus Christ. And the other team who is uh, on their way from like the New Hampshire area today, they are um, coming in on Tuesday to be with Newell Fonda, then Wednesday they'll be with Sioux Central, and then on Thursday they'll be in the Humboldt uh, School. So we'll be ministering to about six total school districts, but depending on the buildings, we'll be putting on a total of about 14 events here in about a four-day run. So we're blessed this morning to have Joel Penton with us. He's a big state fan, big state fan. I want to tell you, though, he's from Ohio. So it's an Ohio State Buckeye linebacker we have here this morning. And uh, just to tell you a little bit about him, he, uh, he's a big guy, and uh, he's very strong, and uh, don't mess with him. That's my first thing. The second is uh, he won three Big Ten titles with the Buckeyes, one national championship. He also won what's called the Werpel Trophy, which is like the humanitarian Heisman Trophy that they hand out to an athlete once a year. And so we are excited to have him here to minister to schools. A big thank you. We'll have to go out to Pizza Ranch. And so make sure you go thank them at lunchtime for bringing in Joel, and uh, they're the ones funding Joel's team, being here all week long. And so we're thankful for that, and um, yeah, we can clap for that, yeah. <laughs> Praise God. And so, um, you know, one of the best introductions I think I could ever give is showing a football highlight video. So we got a video for you to introduce Joel. You're going to love him, guys. Check this video out.
Well, good, good morning. It is such a pleasure to be here with you this morning. I do feel like I am at my home, away from home. I come to Iowa because of a uh, long-standing relationship uh, our uh, nonprofit has with Pizza Ranch. I come out to Iowa all the time, and so it's great to be here. And even just so far this morning, interacting with this church family, I have just been so encouraged. You guys are so nice. You're nicer than people in Ohio. You really are. And so... I just really appreciate that. It's like, I don't know what to do with all these nice people. But uh, no, it's, it's great to be here. And uh, Russ, thanks so much for the kind introduction. I, I have been speaking now full-time um, for about 10 years since I graduated from Ohio State. And what I've found as a full-time speaker is that it's really helpful to have a nice introduction because if you have a good introduction, then it kind of sets your whole presentation off on the right foot. Whereas if you have a bad introduction, the opposite can be true. And I have found this through personal experience on multiple occasions. Not too long ago, I spoke at a youth conference in Columbus, Ohio, where I live. And the, the pastor that introduced me was, it was really enthusiastic. There were about 2,000 students there. And he, he went up on stage to introduce me. And he said, hey, everybody, we have a great speaker for you this evening. About a year ago, the leadership team and I for this conference, we put our heads together. We decided unanimously on who we wanted to be the speaker tonight. And so I called the guy up. I got him on the phone. He agreed to come speak. We were all set and ready to go. But you know what? Last week he called me and said he couldn't make it. And so tonight we have Joel Penton. It's actually a true story. And so that's why I appreciate the kind introduction and uh, excited to be with you. As you noticed, you heard and saw, I did play for the Ohio State University, the Buckeyes. Do we by chance have any Ohio State fans at all? No, zero. <laughs> Zero. There's one person. One. That's some sort of record. Okay. So, you know what? I see that, um, you know, not many Ohio State fans, and that's okay because, and that's good because my understanding is that this church is all about seeking the lost, and so you're in the right place this morning. <laughs> I don't know how wise that joke is here when there's only one fan in the room, but uh, no, I'm excited to be with you uh, for... Uh, a few reasons. Excited to, to share a bit of my own story, what God has done and is doing in my life. Excited to share about our ministry, what it is we are, are doing at the many local schools this week. It's the same thing we do all across the country. I'll share a bit about that in detail at the end. Um, but most of all, I'm excited to share from the Word of God. And so if you have a Bible, grab it and turn with me to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, we'll look at verses 18 through 20. Matthew 4, 18 to 20. If you're having trouble finding it, it's right after chapter 3. You're welcome. 
Matthew chapter 14 through 20. As you arrive there, let me quickly introduce you to my family. Normally they would come with me, uh, but this is just a little bit too far and a little bit too long and a little bit too cold for my family to join me on this particular trip. Up there on the screen, there's my family right there. Uh, beside me is my beautiful wife, Bethany. I met Bethany at Ohio State. She's from the Cincinnati area. She was a gymnast at Ohio State, and we met through the sports uh, Christian sports uh, ministry there on campus called Athletes in Action. Um, there on the ground are my two oldest sons. On the right there is Joel III. He is eight years old. Beside him is our son, Judah, um, named Judah, like that Judah right there. And uh, he is six years old. Uh, then on the bench on the right side is our third son named Luther. He is four years old. And on Bethany's lap is the certifiably cutest child ever born. And that is our daughter named Vera. And believe it or not, uh, in just two months, we are expecting our fifth child, which will be another boy. And so we'll be, a, yeah, four boys and a girl. And so just to kind of briefly introduce you to my family, uh, or at least my kids, so you know a little bit about them. Since they're not here, you don't get to meet them. As I said, Vera is the cutest child ever born. Joel is our, kind of our thinker. He's real, very cerebral. He's very thoughtful. Uh, he reads a lot of books. He's, he's a good thinker. Judah is our entertainer for sure. He will probably be his profession will be being on a stage in some way, somehow. He make, he wants to make people laugh at all costs. Uh, and then Luther, he well, he's four, so he just has very strong desires that he expresses all the time. He wants things very deeply. And so to kind of illustrate this, not too long ago we were at the around the dinner table or just at the table, and we homeschool our kids, and so we're always trying to teach them things just throughout daily life. And my wife was cutting up apples for Joel's church uh, group, Awana is this church group that he does, and so she was cutting up apples, and she, so she asked Joel, hey Joel, if there are 20 children in your class, and each apple feeds four children, how many apples am I going to need to cut up? And so Joel, our very thoughtful, cerebral kid, thought about this for a few moments and said, well, you'll need five apples. And Bethany said, that's very good, that's correct. Well, Luther, our kid who just has strong desires all the time, he heard this conversation and he said, I would like to eat an apple now. That's just something Luther says. And so we're like, okay, well, maybe not right now. And then Judah, our entertainer, overhearing all of these comments says, I would like to eat a child. <laughs> that has nothing to do with anything, but it's just kind of introduces you to my family. So that's my family. Maybe next time we'll bring them. <laughs> All right, so now to the Bible, something truly important. Uh, and we can just, yep. Uh, Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 20. It says this, While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. 
That was pretty short, so I'll read it one more time. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers. He, there's Jesus. He saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. What I'd like to do this morning is share a bit of my own story and how my story has come to, in a sense, intersect with that passage I just read to you and how perhaps that passage will intersect with your life as well. Let me quickly pray for our time together. Lord, thank you for your word and thank you for this invitation. And Lord, we pray now as we consider your word, Lord, that you would be with us. We confess that without your presence, we cannot understand. Uh, we cannot grow. We cannot be changed. And so we pray that you would be here to do just that in our lives. And so we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I said, I want to share a bit of my own story. I'm from a small town in northwest Ohio, a little town that if you look out the window, it looks very similar to here. It's a town called Van Wert, Ohio. And has anyone in this room ever heard of Van Wert, Ohio? <laughs> got three people. Okay, good. So Van Wert, small town, and I grew up like most kids in my hometown, going to school every day, uh, was very involved in sports. Sports were a big part of the community, and something I did every week is that I went to church uh, because pretty much everybody in my small hometown went to church. I didn't go to church because I wanted to go to church. Instead, I went to church because I was forced to go to church by my parents. And I often tell people that I had, I, as a child, I suffered from a severe drug problem because every week my parents drug me to church against my will. So anyway, uh, you know, I did that every Sunday. And, um, but what I really loved was sports, especially when I turned nine, because in my hometown at the age of nine is when you finally get to start playing football. Any football players in the room? Do we have a few? Okay, yeah. All right, a few. Well, I really loved playing football, and I loved it immediately. And I think I can sum up why I loved the game of football in one word, violence. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't say that in the church, but it's true. I, I just, you know, at the age of nine, I loved being a small child, putting on little plastic pads, and then running around as fast as I could, and then just slamming my body into other small children. There was something... <laughs> Something magical about that to me. I, w I actually wasn't very good. I wasn't very good when I, when I first started playing. Believe it or not, I was picked third from last. It was strange the way they did it. After tryouts, they just had all the kids sit down on the grass, and the four coaches from the four teams just took turns picking kids. And it was very efficient, but you could also see when you got picked. And I saw that when I got picked, there were only two other kids there. I was picked third from last out of like 50 kids, many of whom were very bad. <laughs> but obviously only two were worse than me, you know. But So, so I wasn't very good, but I, I loved football, and I kind of developed this idea, whether it was consciously or subconsciously, I kind of thought that, that if I could just play enough football, if I could just win enough awards or gain enough recognition for my performance on the football field, I thought that that would really be my ticket to a life of meaning or purpose or fulfillment. That's what I thought. 
However, the more I played football and the more I improved and as I began to receive some recognition and some notoriety for my football playing, I came to find out very strange. And that was that the more I achieved on the football field, it seemed as though the less it satisfied my deepest longings for meaning and for fulfillment. When I was in high school, I thought, if I can just make the varsity squad, then I'll be satisfied. But as soon as I made varsity, I wanted more. And so I thought, maybe if I could just be all state and get my picture up on the wall in my high school, maybe then I'll be satisfied. But after that happened, I wanted more. And so I thought, maybe if I could just get a scholarship or go to Ohio State or win a national championship or whatever. But I, it always left me wanting more. On my right hand, I'm wearing a ring. It's a national championship ring. And I'll tell you what, if you think it feels good to wear this ring, you're right. <laughs> it does. You know, but here, here's the thing is, as cool as it is to have this ring and to, you know, to be a part of a national championship team, here's what I found. In no way does the feeling I get wearing a piece of jewelry <laughs> even begin to give me the, the meaning and the purpose and the fulfillment that I long for in life that we all long for in life. The, the truth is there's only one place where I've found that. There's only one place where we can find that, and that's in our relationship with God. It's in a relationship, a real relationship with Jesus. And, and I, this seems like a great church. I, I'm, my guess is that many of you have heard that type of terminology before. And growing up, I, I went to church, as I said, and I would often hear the pastor talk about a relationship with Jesus, but I thought that sounded a little bit strange as a kid. Because I thought, okay, if Jesus is real, then he's in heaven, I'm on earth, he's up there, I'm down here. That's a very long-distance relationship. And so that can't be real. That's just church talk. That's just religious jargon. That's not real. That's just something church people say. That's what I concluded. However, when, when I would think about God, when I would really step back and think about my life or, or think about what was going to happen to me when I died, when I would think about those things, I would get really uncomfortable. And, and in fact, I would get kind of scared because I didn't really feel like I had the answers to those questions. And ultimately, the truth was, though I didn't know it, I didn't have a real relationship with Jesus. And that changed when I was in high school and our church got a new youth pastor at our church, a guy named J.C., like Jesus Christ, but his name wasn't Jesus Christ. His name happened to be J.C., and he, went, he started a Wednesday night Bible study at, at, our, at his house, and again, I went every Wednesday because my parents made me go, and it was at that Bible study that my life changed because J.C. at one point just kind of explained a relationship with Jesus in a way that made a, a lot of sense, in a, in a way that ultimately it changed my life because he basically explained it. He said, Joel, the truth is you were created to be in a real relationship with God, to know God personally and to love God. And I thought, you know, that sounds cool. That sounds great. He said, but there's a problem, Joel, and the problem is that you have totally messed it up. And I was like, well, thanks a lot, Pastor. 
You know, but that's pretty much what he said. And he said it's true of all of us that even though we we're created to know God and to love God, the truth is every single one of us have turned away from God. We've rejected God to live for ourselves and to serve ourselves instead of him. We have sinned against God. And because we've sinned against God, the relationship we are supposed to have with him has been totally destroyed. We're separated from God. And because of our sin, because we've rejected an infinitely honorable God, the just punishment is infinite. What we deserve is to be separated from God and his love forever. We deserve hell. But God is so loving. God is so kind that about 2,000 years ago, God himself actually stepped out of eternity and stepped into history and became a man on a rescue mission to save each and every one of us from everything we've done wrong, to save us from what we deserve. God came to earth as a man named Jesus, and Jesus did what we could never do. Jesus lived a perfect, sinless, righteous life, and though he was perfect and deserved only honor, only praise, only reward, he then went and received what we deserve. Jesus died to pay the penalty for our sin. And then three days later, Jesus rose from the dead, defeating sin, defeating death, defeating Satan, proving he's the king of the universe. And JC told me, he said, Joel, if you would simply give up living for yourself, turn away from yourself, repent of your sin and turn to Jesus. If you'd ask Jesus to forgive you, to save you, he will. Not because you deserve it, but because he died for you and he loves you. And maybe I'd heard it a thousand times. Maybe I'd heard it a million times. I don't know. But at that moment, it clicked. And I realized that I needed Jesus. There was nothing I could do to earn God's love. Nothing. I needed Jesus who earned it for me. And so I believed in him and I trusted him. And as a freshman in high school, any freshmen in high school here? All right. As a freshman in high school, my life changed because I believed in Jesus and I put my trust in him and, and all of a sudden I came to know him personally. And so I, I'd even pause right at this moment in the message to say, surely in a room this size with this many people, there's some of you that as I talk about a relationship with Jesus, maybe you can relate to me in thinking, oh, that just sounds like church talk. That just sounds like religious talk. I'm here to tell you it's real. And Jesus changed me and he can change you too. I found the fulfillment that I had been seeking in football that I could never find there. I found it in Jesus. And I would even ask you, what would be keeping you, even right now, where you're sitting, to believe in Jesus and call on him and ask him to forgive you? You can know him. That's my first challenge for you. And, and I found that as a Christian, this amazing thing, when you turn to Jesus, not only are you immediately changed, the Bible says you're born again, you're given a new heart, you're a new creation, but even more, over the course of your life, God goes to work in your life to progressively make you more and more like Jesus. You grow as a Christian. And, and a big turning point in my own growth came when I went on a youth mission trip with youth from my church one summer when I was in high school to a place called Mountaintop, Tennessee. And what we did for an entire week is that youth from all over the country would go to this camp. And for a week, we camped out at, on the top of this mountain. And during the day, we helped out with local daycare centers uh, in the rural community there. And then every night we gathered at the top to have chapel services where we would read the Bible and pray and sing songs. Well, the last night of the camp, 
the leaders of that mission trip gathered all of us youth from all over the country into a big room, a room almost this size. And they put us in a big circle so we were all facing one another. And they told us to hold out our hands, palms up. And then they went around the room, and in one of our hands, they placed a little golden fish hook pin. And in the other hand, they placed the back to that pin. And then they read to us the passage that I just read to you, where Jesus says, come follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. And they challenged us. They said, if you're willing to truly follow Jesus, and in doing so, become a fisher of men, reaching out to others with the gospel for the rest of your lives, if you're willing to be serious about following Jesus, go ahead and pin that fish hook on yourself. Well, I only had to think about that for about two seconds. And I thought, oh yeah, Jesus changed my life. I wanted to change others. I want my life to count. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna be a fisher of men. And so I pinned that fish hook on myself Got back on the church bus, rode it to, up to, back to Van Wert, Ohio, got off the bus, and I realized, oh no, what have I done? I've decided to fish for men, but I don't know how to do that. And, and so I just started doing everything I knew how. You know, I started inviting my friends to go to church with me on Sunday morning. I started inviting my friends at school to go to the Wednesday night Bible study with me where my life had changed. I got involved in the Fellowship of Christian Athletes at my school and started inviting people to, to go to that. And then my junior year, I got the scholarship offer to play football uh, for the Buckeyes. And, and so all of a sudden, I, I started getting invitations to go speak at, at schools and churches and events. And so I learned to share the gospel with, with groups of people. And then I went down to Ohio State for my freshman year in the fall of 2002. And I tell you, I don't know, if any, has anybody been to Columbus, Ohio? Okay, those people in Columbus, they're crazy. I mean, the Buckeye mania, it's out of control. I received so many opportunities to go speak in the community simply because I played football for Ohio State. I mean, so many requests, I couldn't even begin to fulfill them all. And I had Christian teammates with similar convictions but again, so many opportunities out there, we were hardly scratching the surface. So after struggling through this during my time at Ohio State, I always felt like I wasn't doing a good job of being a fisher of men because there was simply so much potential that we just weren't tapping into. So right before my senior year, I got together with some of my teammates and coaches and we decided to do something about it. We decided that Instead of simply going to speak as much as we could here and there, we were actually going to hold our own event where we were going to invite the entire community to come hear Ohio State players and coaches talk about Jesus, and so, an event that we were going to call the main event. And so we thought, how many people will come to this thing? Maybe 1,000, maybe 500 people, I don't know. So we thought of one good building on campus that would hold a thousand people, that being St. John Arena. It's an old basketball arena on campus. And so we got the bright idea. We were student athletes at the time. We we're like, let's just rent out St. John Arena, the basketball arena. That's simple. And so I got a personal meeting with the facility manager of St. John Arena. I walk into the guy's office, again, I'm just a student at the time, and the guy's sitting at his desk, and he says, so you want to rent out St. John Arena, huh? I said, yeah, that's right. 
And he said, what do you want to rent it out for? I said, a, a, a Christian athlete meeting. And he said, well, how many people do you typically get at your Christian athlete meetings? I said, 40. <laughs> when really we only got 30 at the time, but I <laughs> thought 40 sounded better. And so anyway, we rented out of St. John, pulled out all the stops. Nine of my teammates agreed to speak. We uh, formed a partnership at churches. We held a press conference, made up promotional materials. We didn't know what would happen. But ultimately, we wanted to be faithful in following Jesus and fishing for men. The night of the event came. I remember we were at the arena backstage. Uh, the, my teammates and I were praying, hoping some people would show up to, to hear the gospel. And right before we went out on stage, my wife came back. We got married in college, and, and so we were married at the time. She came back. She had been very instrumental in the whole thing. And she was trembling. And she said, Joel, it's filling up. <laughs> Joel, our passion, our, our dream is being realized tonight. And so we went out on stage. Uh, my teammates did a great job sharing their testimonies. Uh, I was just the MC that night. I introduced my teammates, kept the evening moving along. I did get to articulate the gospel at the end and ask people to turn to Jesus. And I couldn't really see how many people were in the audience because the lights were in my eyes the whole time, but we were so shocked to find out the next day that not 500 people came, not 1,000, but actually the fire marshal had to close the doors because over 13,000 people showed up that night to hear some football players talk about Jesus. And you see, the, the next day we got even better news because at the event we had some students from a local Christian college there as volunteers, and, and after we shared the gospel and challenged people to turn to Jesus, they passed out cards so people could indicate if they'd made a decision to trust Christ, and then those volunteers stayed up all night long putting their information into a database so that our local churches could reach out to those people in the following weeks. Well, those volunteers stayed up until 6 a.m. because there were many more cards than they anticipated. And the next day, they sent us an email, and when my wife received the email and she read it to me, she and I both literally began to weep when we got the news that 1,359 people indicated they'd made a decision to trust Christ that previous evening. And, and I tell you, when we got that news, <laughs> we became convinced not that we are something special because we know we're not, but we became convinced of normal people like us. If we would be willing to truly follow Jesus, that he's willing and able to do through us things that are above and beyond our wildest dreams. And I know it can be tempting to sit where you're sitting and to listen to me tell this story and to think, okay, that's an interesting story, but... It doesn't apply to me in any type of way because we're so different with such different opportunities and such different motivations or, or whatever it is. And if you're tempted to think those things, I would encourage you to look back at the passage and I would just ask you, does it say, does Jesus say, go muster up the motivation, go seek out the opportunity, Go develop the skill to be a fisher of men. Is that what Jesus says? No, what does he say? He says something much more comforting, doesn't he? 
He says, come, follow me, and I will make you a fisher of men. Isn't that a wonderful promise? That we become fishers of men, and in fact, we grow as Christians in primarily the same way that we become Christians? Not because we bring something amazing to the table, no, far from it. To become a Christian, we come to the table and we say, Jesus, I don't have what I need. I don't have any righteousness of my own. Will you give me yours and make me righteous? And Jesus forgives us and he makes us righteous. And to grow as Christians, to become fishers of men, we come to Jesus and we say, Jesus, I don't have what I need. Jesus, I don't have the love in my heart I need for my neighbor. Will you change my heart so that I can't interact with my neighbor without speaking the truth in love? And Jesus changes us. We come to Jesus and we say, Jesus, I don't see the opportunities in my life. I go to work every day, but I don't see those opportunities to speak to my coworkers. Will you change my eyes to see the opportunities? And Jesus changes us. We come to Jesus and we say, Jesus, I, I don't have the words. Will you change my tongue so that I, get, I can speak the right words? Don't let me go through another Thanksgiving without speaking the right words of truth and love to my in-laws. And Jesus changes us. He's faithful. He says, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And so my challenge for you this morning, no matter who you are, would be the same. If you don't know Jesus, turn to him, trust him, follow him. You can know him. And if you know him and you want to see the world change, turn to him, trust him, follow him. Trust Jesus to make you a fisher of men. Let me pray for us. I'll pray. Here's what we'll do real quick. I'll pray, and then I'm going to quickly uh, tell you a little bit about our ministry and what we're going to be doing in the area this week. Let me pray. Lord, uh, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for this invitation. Lord, thank you for the challenge to follow you. And Lord, we're so grateful that you not only come and rescue us, but you invite us to come alongside you and be a part of what you're doing. And Lord, we confess we are not the fishers of men we should be, but Lord, we are so grateful that you promised to change us, and so that's what we ask you to do this morning. Lord, make us fishers of men, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.